Good morning, and welcome to Worship with Dayspring. I'm John Pettibone, and uh, I was uh, happy to uh, to be here worshiping with you all today, um, virtually, of course. Uh, Chris has asked me to uh, share a little bit about one of our holiday traditions, and like many of you, uh, many of our traditions have been a little bit curtailed this year. But one thing that we still absolutely do is decorate our Christmas tree. Um, and also, you know, since almost nobody's going to get to see our tree this year, I thought it might be nice if we shared it with you guys and do a quick, uh, a quick highlight of some of the more important ornaments that mark different periods of our life. So. Uh, over here, uh, I think we'd start out with uh, the holiday Christmas taco uh, that uh, uh, Kathy and I get ourselves get each other ornaments each year um, to the point where we've had to add a second tree to be able to take care of everything. But we always put the Christmas taco out front. Um, also, uh, you know, we have ornaments for our kids. So we've, you know, uh, uh, we have uh, the caps that uh, both Emma and Bennett wore. Oops, look, they fall off too. Uh, when they were born in the hospital, we've put those in ornaments so that we've got those here. Um, and then uh, for myself, uh, several important uh, pieces of sports memorabilia like uh, Alex Ovechkin uh, hosting, uh, hoisting the Stanley Cup a few years ago. And then no Christmas is complete without uh, Joe Theismann, uh, the uh, former uh, Washington football team uh, quarterback. Um, Next to that, of course, also uh, memorabilia from our trip to England uh, with Emma and Bennett. They've each got an ornament on here. And then there's lots of other neat ornaments here from when Emma, when Kathy was a kid, uh, from when I was a kid, uh, uh, Emma's uh, unicorn phase, which is still going, uh, I believe, um, is uh, more memorialized here. Um, like most of you, you know, sitting back here and looking at your tree reminds you of lots of great memories uh, of the past, uh, as well as it's a good marker that you're going to keep making great memories in the future. Um, I can't wait to see what our pandemic ornaments are going to look like this year. So um, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, and why don't we go ahead and prepare our hearts and minds for worship.
Will you join us in the invocation? O wisdom, Lord and ruler, root of Jesse, tree of David, rising sun, king of the nations, Emmanuel, come. Verses 1 through 2 says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through my generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever and that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Thank you. 
One of the later letters written in the New Testament, later in time frame, after much time had passed since Jesus had been here and the church had been growing, is the letters that John wrote, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in that late time, there had been more space for struggles in the life of the church, struggles for the church with the world, and more time to reflect on the meaning of this Christ event that had happened. And in those letters, reflecting on what it all means, John writes these familiar, simple, and yet profound words. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent the only Son into the world so that we might live through him. I think in our time of struggle and division as a culture and in our time of struggling with pandemics and all things, that invitation is maybe the one key thing we need to remember on this fourth Sunday of Advent that is the Sunday we remember love. And so as I light this fourth candle, I want to invite you at home to get your Advent candles out and light it with me and remember that whoever loves is born of God and that ultimately all we are called to is to embody that love.
Let's pray together. Oh God, for your love that has been made known to us in so many ways through the coming of Jesus, we are deeply grateful. Through the simplicity and beauty of a child in a manger, a light from heaven given to simple peasants and simple people, a calling to shepherds, a visit of wise men, all of it an expression of your love, we are grateful. And for that expression to grow up and to reach out to the outcast, the marginalized, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring new life where it seemed impossible to bring, we are grateful. And for the ways that that love continues to break into our hearts and lives, when we feel lost and alone and uncertain about which way to go, when we feel like the world is harsh, and then in those holy moments where you come and there's a softening and a breaking of all that hardness, we are grateful. But we confess we don't always know how to live in response to that as much as we desire to be loving in that same way. And so we ask God that you would help us to practice kindness and grace in a world of hardness. And you would help us to practice courage and action in a world of fear. And you would help us to live not for ourselves, but to give ourselves to the beauty of this world the way that you gave yourself. We ask these things in the name of the one who came and is coming still. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I just love the introduction to the Gospel of John, the poetic language, the expansive meaning, the imagery. It's one of those really beautiful passages of Scripture 
But in order to really hear its beauty, you have to savor the words and the phrases and connect the poetry one to another. And so that's what I'm going to try and help us do this morning. We're going to listen to those words again and again in order to hear more and more of its meaning so that on this December 20th, we can connect John's version of the Christmas story to the story we are living this Christmas. And to be clear, this is the Christmas story you just heard. Of course, in John's version, there's no angels or shepherds, no Mary or Joseph, similar to what we heard from Mark a few weeks ago, only John doesn't jump right into the adult Jesus. Instead, John goes the opposite direction. He goes way, way back before Mary and Joseph, before Adam and Eve even. John begins his story at the dawn of time, in the beginning, just like Genesis did. In the beginning was the word, or in Greek, the logos. And that's the first important poetic word that we have to unpack. You see, the ancient Greek philosophers spoke of the logos as the foundation of all that is. The logos is this ordering principle or this ordering reality of all things. And in English, that word logos actually is translated as the word. So in the world that John is living in, the logos, the word, was not just hot air. It was a something. And it was understood as this reality in and of itself, a presence, a principle behind all things that exist. And the way that the Greeks spoke of the logos actually was similar to the way that Christians began to speak of the Christ, especially Paul. Now, not just the person of Jesus, but the Christ as this divine reality, this divine presence behind and in the existence of all things. I mean, Paul, he is always writing these phrases like being in Christ and living through Christ or being alive to Christ. So in other words, what the Greeks speak of as the logos, the word, is very similar to the same thing that the Christians begin to speak of as the Christ. And so as John tells his Christmas story, he pulls those two things together. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the Christ reality. And that logos was with God, and the logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now again, that's a little hard and abstract to grasp, right? So I actually want to invite us this morning to use our imaginations and try to build a picture in our heads of what John is saying. In the very beginning, before all things, there was the Christ reality, the Logos. And this Christ reality was with God and was God. The Christ reality was in the beginning. That's where John starts the Christmas story. And that's important because 
for John, this story about Jesus' birth isn't really primarily a story about Mary or a story about Joseph or Elizabeth or John the Baptist, as important as their parts might be. The Christmas story is about this Christ reality coming into the world. The Christmas story is a story about God, the eternal one, the one that's beyond all time and knowing, the very ground of our being, the ultimate reality at the heart of all reality that we often refer to as God. That's who the Christmas story is actually about. In the beginning was the Word, the Christ reality. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then John goes on to write, all things came into being through him, through this Christ reality. Without him, not one thing came into being. Which is to say then that the divine logos, the cosmic Christ reality, the divine presence that was born in the manger is not just the source of Jesus, but the source of all that is, including you and me. In fact, John says that what's come into being through this Christ reality is life, life itself. And that's the next really heady idea. I want to invite you to try to wrap your imaginations around. Try to picture that in your heart and in your mind. That the divine reality that the Greeks spoke of as the logos or the word and that Christians began to describe as the Christ is what brought into being life itself. Which is to say then that life does not exist on its own. Life doesn't just happen. Life is a force that came into being through the very heart and the impulse of God, and it came into being through Christ. This force of life, it explodes into existence at the birth of the universe, spreading out the galaxies and the stars. And that force of life began churning the planets around the sun, the force of life that comes from the Logos, the Christ reality. And it's that same force of life that is pulsing in the deep, dark earth and hidden from our eyes. It splits open the seed that's buried there, and it pulls the green sprout up from the ground into the light of the sun, that's the force of life that came into being through Christ. And it's that same force that came into being through the Christ reality that pulls two lovers together in passion and delight, and out of that passion and delight creates some entirely new life that will grow into a unique person, someone that has never been before and never will be again. This is the force of life that came into being through Christ in the beginning. And it's the same force of life that drives you and me even now. It's what drives us to create and to work and to learn and to build and to teach. 
It's the same force of life that drives you to love and to cry and to mourn and to lament when things are not as they should be and to hope and dream of what things can be. It's the force of life itself that's in you that came into being through the divine logos, the eternal Christ reality. And John says that this force of life is the light of all people, all of us, everyone you meet and know, everyone you'll never meet and you'll never know. This life is the divine spark that animates all of us, even when there is great darkness around us. And even when there is great darkness in us. The light shines in the darkness, John says, and the darkness did not, the darkness cannot overcome it. I know this is abstract stuff, and maybe it doesn't sound all that Christmassy to you, but I actually think it is the holy story at the heart of most Christmas stories. It's the divine reality that connects together all the kinds of stories that we repeat and remember and tell this time of year. I mean, take Ebenezer Scrooge, for example. He's driven by greed and his hard-heartedness, living in kind of a cold darkness and what's really a deep loneliness for him day after day, year after year, until... He is visited by the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future and is faced with that darkness and the emptiness of his own life. And his heart then is is broken open to see that there is something more. It's broken open by the frailty of Tiny Tim. It's broken open by the emptiness of the life that he was trusting and living into. And that begins to change Scrooge because he sees there's something more. And he becomes the kind of person he never imagined he would be. You see, what came into being was life. And that life was the light of all people. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. Or how about the Grinch, whose heart was two sizes too small, And so he couldn't stand all that cheery kindness of Whoville, especially around Christmas time, right? And he was determined to put an end to it, stealing Christmas. Can you imagine? But then out of the cold winter blowing on his solitary mountain, he hears it. All of Whoville singing together, even though it was dark, the light of Christmas could not be put out. And the Grinch... Well, his heart begins to grow, doesn't it? And it grows until he becomes someone he would not have expected he could be. What came into being was life. And that life was the light of all people. And that light, it shines there in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Or how about Charlie Brown, whose melancholy heart not only hangs like a cloud over him, but it's sort of fed by all the shallow desires of his friends until some of those very same friends 
surround him and his pitiful little Christmas tree with love. And both the Christmas tree and Charlie Brown become flush with something you might call life. Or how about George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, ready to drop off that bridge in despair of his own meaningless life until he begins to see just how much his life means to so very many people. And he begins to recognize that light that is still there in him, and it changes him from despair into gratitude. What came into being in the very beginning through the Logos, was life itself. And that life force is the light of all people. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not, cannot overcome it. It's the divine story that seems to get played out in all our Christmas stories. And if we had eyes to see it, we'll find that it's being played out in countless ways in our lives all the time, only the problem is we often don't have eyes to see. We aren't very good at seeing that light in all things and in all people. And according to John, that's why Jesus was born. In verse 9, John says that the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world didn't know him. That's why Ebenezer was such a Scrooge. He didn't know this light. And it's why the Grinch's heart was two sizes too small, and Charlie Brown just felt more depressed this time of year, and George Bailey was ready to jump off that bridge that night. The light of life was already there in the world, but the world didn't know it. We didn't recognize it. We lost connection with the one who is our source. And so God put on flesh and blood, became one of us so that we might know God, so that we might discover again this light and life from which we came and in the process be brought back to life ourselves. To all who received him, the source of life, John writes, to those who believed in his name, or to put it another way, to those who trust in this light and life that we experience in Jesus, they discover this power to become children of God. The word became flesh. The cosmic word, the Christ reality, it became flesh and lived among us in the person of Jesus, full of grace and truth. This is the Christmas story that John invites us to know, the divine story of Christmas. It's the meaning behind all the other stories of our culture and all the stories of angels and shepherds and manger and wise men. And so my hope for you this Christmas is that as you find yourself thinking about this world of ours and all that our world is going through and the life that you are living in this world, 
that you might discover and know and trust that the divine light of the Christ reality, the light that has come in Jesus, is coming into each moment of your life. And the more you see it, the more you will know Emmanuel, Christ with us, God with us. Amen.
Christmas is coming soon. So in these days, keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Amen. Thank you.